0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Mo and Friends Sports Podcast. We're recording straight after Game 4 of the NBA Finals and joining me to discuss the playoffs so far is Eric. Welcome back, man. Hey, man. How you going? Good, mate. Good. Game 4, man, just finished. And I took the Warriors to win by 5, Eric. It's looking like it's going to be a complete flip. What have you seen out of the playoffs so far, four games in?
1: Um, You know, it's kind of a weird one because of the injuries. Like, so, the... And it keeps kind of switching around so hard because I thought the Raptors did well to, to win that first game and then I thought the Warriors did really good to win the second game and I thought, okay, that's, that's it. I, I was, I was sending, like, sending you messages getting angry at the Splash Brothers because mm-hmm. I picked Toronto and then I just thought, you know what, they're going to come back and steamroll these guys um, and then game three, there were so many injuries that you sort of looked at it and thought this one's a bit of a write-off, rest clay, um, take it easy and just see how you do. But then the, the team that was out there on paper looked really solid, but they, I don't know how, I don't know how like, fit everybody is out there at the moment, whether anybody's carrying any niggling injuries, but, you know, it was a scrappy first half to the game. And then usually that third quarter is where you expect Golden State to come out and explode. And they came out, Kawhi nails two threes immediately. And then there's this complete swing the other way. And and the Raptors put 37 points on them in the third quarter. And then they never look back after that.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, look, well, it's crazy, isn't it? Like, Everyone's carrying niggles, et cetera. But I think for Golden State, it was just too many injuries. And when you look at it as a whole body of work, we're talking about fa- five straight NBA finals. You know, you've won three of the last four. And it's just so many games on the body, right, especially to those really good players. And then, you know, DeMarcus Cousins comes back and he's meant to give you some minutes, which he does, but he was never meant to give you 26 or 28 minutes in game two, which he ended yeah. up doing. And it's just showed... Right after that, add to that the fact that obviously they really missed Clay in game three, and more so for his defense than his offense because they got up their one hundred and nine points. Um, don't get me wrong, having Clay on offense helps because you get the points a bit easier. Even today, Clay played his part right here, I think six or seven threes, and yeah, he was just good out there, yeah, and look, it's just the way he gets his points is a lot easier than you'd have to get them when he's not on because you're relying on other players like Iguodala, etc., hitting threes, which they're not used to hitting. And it showed again today. He was throwing up bricks. So you missed him. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins is underdone. So with Looney out, you were playing Bogut a bit, but Bogut can, can only give you so much. And if DeMarcus is off, like he was in the last game, and then today, I mean, the start of this game, he had three or four turnovers. He was just, you know, trying to force it too much yeah. and he wasn't getting anything done. And it just really showed uh, from that end. And, you know, add to that the fact that Steph really had to carry them in game four and, and he hit, you know, 47 points. Amazing performance. Today, Steph was two of nine uh, from the three-point line. I know he still ended up with, you know, 27 points if I'm not wrong, but it's just the way he had to get them. Like if Steph if Steph's shooting 27, is if Steph's making, you know, 27 points, 30 points, and then you look up and he's only hit two threes, You know that he had to work really hard to get them. And that's often not a good sign about where the Warriors are at and them winning. And obviously, the final piece, right, is just missing Kevin Durant. And now, you know, he's been out for four games. It just shows you how much of a game changer he is and how much he swings the tie your way. I still felt that a healthy Golden State, even without Kevin Durant, would be uh, the Raptors, uh, but given the number of injuries they've had, um, it's just it's proven a bit too much. And, man, I don't know. I think the Raptors can finish it off um, in Toronto the next game. Do, do you think like the Warriors will be able to win if Durant doesn't come back?
1: I, I, I'm i starting to wonder if Durant came back, if that's even going to be enough. So mm. the, Warriors, the Warriors have to win the next three in a row, Durant hasn't practiced since he got injured. Like he hasn't scrimmaged, he hasn't practiced, so it would be coming straight off straight off the bench from an injury and you just think, okay, you're going to come in and are you, are you going to be the Kevin you were before you got injured where you're out there dropping 40 points on people or are you going to take a little bit of time to, to get into the groove? I don't know if they win three in a row against the Raptors. If, if Durant came back and he was peak Durant, I would say Absolutely but I don't know if you're going to get that and seeing how DeMarcus has been suffering from coming back and, and having a, a big game in game two, I, I worry that you'd end up doing the same kind of thing. So if he came back, he might be coming back playing on restricted minutes. So you could kind of look at it and think, oh, they're in a, they're in a little bit of a bind here. And you have a look at, like, they need support from the other guys on on the team. Like, Iguodala got three points today. Like, I thought, thought he was great on defense, but that's not enough. And DeMarcus only got six. Like, Bogut played all those minutes, got no points. So you're, he put up no shots either, Bogut. Yeah. There were a few times there where I just, like I, I. it's almost like I feel physical pain when I see him having a bad game because I want him to do well. Yeah. And you just see like terrible passes and poor transition defense where he's just, you know, he, he didn't get a lot of minutes coming into the playoffs. So I think he's still, he's not up to full speed. So I... I thought he had a bit of a rough game out there. And, yeah, I'm, I think they're going to struggle to get past Toronto. And when you look at Toronto, it's like they're putting up good numbers. So like Kawhi put up fantastic numbers. But, like, Abaka, where's this Abaka been the last couple of years? This is the best yeah. I've seen him. He's putting up points. He's hitting threes. He's getting a whole bunch of blocks. He looks He looks fantastic. And and Siakam looks like a big game player. Like you look at him and you just think you're ready to definitely be the number two on a team. You're you're at that level, and I think they've got a lot of confidence there. I think Gasol being added to the team gave them that confidence in this playoffs. They look like a team that they they kind of believe they can win, and I think that's a very dangerous proposition for the Warriors.
0: And you know, look the you know just on the Raptors, I was going to bring up how you know, some role players are stepping up as needed for that team from game to game. I mean, the game where they scored 123 points, which is, you know, the game before this one, Denny Green finally broke out and he hit six, six three-pointers for 18 points for the game and really, you know, helped uh, Leonard and Lowry, you know, just giving them that extra uh, outlet for points because, you know, Lowry and Leonard kept uh, driving, attracting the defense and then dishing out to Green. And then the difference is he was making them. Today, he didn't make them, but it wasn't as bad because, as you said, Ibaka really stepped up. In the last game, Gasol had 17 points. And just having those extra players in addition, because you know what you're going to get out of Leonard, Lowry, and to an extent, Siakam? I mean, Siakam's going to be around the 20 points, give or take. Leonard's consistently 30 plus and Lowry again in that 22 to 25 range. You compare that to the Golden State and obviously both Clay and Steph had their points which are sort of cancelled out by what Leonard and Lowry do and then it comes to the next tier down and that's where Toronto has really supported their stars as opposed to Golden State who haven't been able to get any offense outside of their main players. And look, granted, even in the season, right? That's how the Golden State Warriors are built. They're built around Curry, Durant, Thompson, getting you the points, and then everyone else playing good defense, good team basketball, Draymond Green bringing energy and facilitating. And yet again, you know, they left Green out on the three-point line and he's so hit and miss that when he's off, he's just really off, and he just couldn't get them any points to support them, and that's where the difference is. Is like the that high end talent is ringing it on both ends, at which you know sort of neutralizes neutralizes their uh, input, and then it becomes to the second tier, and that's where Toronto really has a leg up with people who can score. I mean, when Mark Gasol is, you know, your fourth or fifth option to score and he can give you 15 points plus one game and then Ibaka comes off the bench and gives you another 15 points another game, there's just nothing on Golden State that can handle it. And this is where Durant would sort of tilt the balance so much if he's healthy. And, Mm. you know, with that not around, yeah, man, like, poof, imagine. I think, you know, Canada will have a national holiday if they win
1: yeah, the next game—it's
0: just incredible.
1: And you look at it and you just think, like, if I think if Toronto win, Kawhi will get Finals MVP. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you have Finals MVP downing LeBron and a Finals MVP putting the nail in the coffin for the Golden State Warriors, and that's that's really impressive. Like you look at it and you just think, okay, where do you where do you sit in terms of the best players in the game these days? Uh, my only worry with him is how long is his body going to hold together? He seems like he's like right on the brink of having a severe injury. And I think he looked better today than he looked towards the end of the Bucks series. So yeah. I, think, I think he's probably going to hold together for, for these finals. They've looked They've looked great and that depth has been fantastic for them. Because it's, I guess the narrative's kind of become because of Golden State that everybody's saying, all right, I need, I need like three big stars who can score a lot and that's how you win a championship. And then you kind of go and have a look at this Raptors approach where you've got one clear superstar but you've just got depth and versatility and length on everybody who's there to kind of back up Kawhi and, and it's working. And I'm interested to see whether other people look at it and think maybe I don't need to go below all my caps space, getting two or three big guys. Maybe what I need is a really high-quality second tier and some depth who can get me into the finals and, like, healthy so I don't have to overplay these big guys.
0: Look, absolutely. And, you know, just on Kawhi, started off a bit slow in the first game, had 23 points, but that was helped with Siakam having 30-plus and you know, really carrying the load and they won that game. And then since then he's gone, he's gone 34 points, 30 points, and then 36 points. And I think, you know, if they win game five, he's definitely going to get MVP. And just on what you mentioned, Eric, about the depth and the plays we have, you know, big props to Masai Ujiri, right? Who, you know, made some really sort of gutsy calls, a bit risky calls uh, with the trades. Uh, obviously the biggest one being bringing Kawhi for DeMar DeRozan, and all of the sort of the angst that caused, especially with Carl Lowry and the relationship he had with DeRozan. And you add to that, um, you know, trading for Mark Gasol, obviously Danny Green coming along with the Kawhi Leonard trade. Ibaka willing, and I guess that's from a coaching perspective, so that comes to the hiring of Nick Nurse as well, but Ibaka willing to take a step back and actually come off the bench with Mark Gasol being introduced. And then obviously Van Vliet giving them what he's given them and Siakam's development. Just been some amazing plays by the GM, and you know chief of which is changing the coach and changing your superstar player as well and i think they've been you know master strokes because the window is now right i mean i'm i'm not a big fan of when it comes to sports and winning trophies if you have the team to win my view is you go for the win it's not about building for the future etc you know that could take you 10 years and you still get nowhere you if you have the players that you can build around that can help you win games you go for it now especially when Philly is emerging, Milwaukee is emerging, Danny Ainge and Boston will sort their stuff out and then they'll have a reboot and then they'll come back. You don't want to miss your window, especially if, like, let's say Kawhi decides to leave, even if they win the the playoffs, at least they have a championship, right? So I think uh, Ujiri deserves a lot of um, props and he's done really well.
1: Yeah, he's he's arguably... The, the best guy out there at the moment. I mean, I, when, when that trade for Kawhi happened, and I, started, like, I when, when your fan base loves a player that much, it's always going to be a bit difficult to navigate. But the thing that I thought about DeRozan was watching him there, I just thought this guy's never going to win you a championship or like a conference championship or an NBA championship. He just wasn't quite good enough. So the question is, do you you keep being second place or do do you not want to win because that guy's not going to be able to do it? Or do you just say, no, we'll roll the dice and we'll go for it? And if you win, maybe he stays. And if he leaves, if you're the champion, there's a very good chance that you might be able to pick up one of these big names in free agency. So I, I thought it was a smart move. I thought they were never going to be able to win it with DeRozan being your main player, but Kawhi is a completely different level to that guy. So I think it I think it was really good for them. And you could just see they had that they they, they felt like chokers when when they were there and past that, that was partially LeBron Like LeBron just shreds people in, in ways that, that no other player does. But, but now they don't look like that. Like you see them out there, like today golden state got out fast and they, there was one stage where I think they were up by, I think they were up by 12 at one stage, but no panic, no, nothing like that. They just gradually reeled them in and then blew them away in the third. And, that speaks to a maturity of your team that's ready to go out there and
0: win. Absolutely, man. And just on that maturity and Nick Nurse, and I don't know if you noticed, but they were playing at such a f- high pace today as well and pushing the ball even after scores. And even Mike Breen in the, in the broadcast, in the coverage kept saying, you know, even after Golden State scores, they kept pushing the game. And it was very smart to one, take advantage of Steph Curry's load in game three and really try to push him hard and obviously Clay Thompson coming back, Looney coming back, and DeMarcus Cousins being underdone, I think they did a great job continuously pushing the pace and pushing the ball, and that paid dividends towards the end of the game when... Golden State just couldn't put up shots. Curry was always double teamed and couldn't really get out of them. And yeah, I think Nick Nurse has done an amazing job with that team.
1: Yeah, that, all all around they've just been they've been great this year. I mean, I I thought the Bucks were going to do them, and they've probably, they've had a really hard road to to get here to the finals. Like the the teams they've had to go through to get here have have been really tough and. They're here. They're battle tested, and I just think at the moment with the injuries there to Golden State, um, I think they're I think they're going to have a hard time taking Toronto down from here. Winning three in a row from here is going to be tough. Mm. Yeah, I I don't know where they they go from here. Even if they get Kevin back, I, I think they're going to struggle.
0: Just finally on the NBA, the free agency watch. So. Knicks have obviously two max. The Nets now have two max. So they traded away an $18 million contract with Crab to the Hawks. Clippers have a path to get two max slots. And obviously the Lakers have one max and pick four and assets. We're hearing Kyrie wants Brooklyn now. Where's the Knicks at in all of this? I mean, we're, we're only 20, 22 days away from you know, free agency. What's going to happen, mate? Where are you guys positioned? What's this the general sentiment? Are you going to get at least one big superstar or how's that looking?
1: This so I what, I've been paranoid about this whole thing since forever. Where I'm like, oh yeah, this looks really good. Of course it won't happen to us. We're the Knicks. You know, it's like everybody will leave and then we'll give Jimmy Butler a max and then he'll like destroy what's left of the culture that we've got. So it's, it, de- it depends what's motivating Durant at the moment. But my, my gut feel is that Kyrie and Durant want to play together based on, I guess, the it, it is rumours and speculation, but it feels like those two are likely to end up in the same place. And then I think Kyrie will go wherever Durant goes. So it comes down to what's motivating Kevin Durant? If it was just winning championships, why would you leave? So there's got to be something else there. It's either and he's got a whole bunch of business in Silicon Valley. And you know, why would you leave if it was business? So there's something else kind of motivating him for why he wants to pick up and, and leave. I think that if you want to go and put yourself in the best, I guess, position to win, you I, I kind of look at the clippers. And the, what they've got going on um, with with their organization at the moment, they've got a great coach. They've got, you know, they've got some fantastic people in the organization that are running it now. Uh, Brooklyn are looking great. I mean, you're not going to pick the Knicks out of those guys if it's down to hey, I want to go and immediately win. There's a bit of rebuilding that needs to happen there. But if what you're doing is you're going out there to chase a legacy and to do something that other people can't do, taking the Knicks to a championship or even even just the conference championships, that's that's going to be kind of massive. Um, but that's not a that's not a completely basketball-driven decision. I mean, I, I think business-wise, do you really want to go to New York and be in the second biggest team in New York? Uh, I don't know. But um, I think that really comes down to am I trying to find something to – Like, underpin my legacy. I think going and winning at the Knicks is probably a greater achievement than going and winning at those other two organizations. But it's a lot of work, and I don't know if they're. They're ready to sit down and go. Okay, we need like you, you'll probably literally need like a three or four year plan to to put yourself there because we've got some no, we've got some good young talent, but we don't have any great young talent. So,
0: Kevin Knox, baby. Yeah, I mean
1: Kevin Knox is good. <laughs> like I, I, I was saying to you before, like I'm excited about watching our, our young guys, but there's there's no one there that you look at and go, yeah, that guy's going to be like that guy's going to be something really special. You look at it and you think these guys could all be. Like really solid kind of role players. Like I'm looking at it like kind of like guys who would go out there and play at the like the, the van Vliet level where you can depend on them in the playoffs and in the finals. But there's no one out there where they're they're going to kind of be a they're going to turn into that first tier player. At least at least I'm not seeing it yet. I feel like you you kind of know when they're when you see them playing at that young level where they're going to get to that that kind of stage but um look i'm i'm just hoping we get somebody (laughs) i've been sort of like you know i got so attached to the idea of us having zion and then zion and Kyrie and and kd and then now i'm looking at i'm like you know what we we may get nobody (laughs) so i'm i'm like mentally preparing for us to get to get nothing but if you want if you're out there chasing chasing the legacy I think winning with the Knicks is going to do it for you in a way that it, you're just not going to get out of Brooklyn or, um, Brooklyn or the Clippers.
0: Yeah, mate, I agree. I think he'll get a statue if he wins something. Um, at the Knicks, he'll probably be the biggest Knicks star ever really because your last championship team is more than a generation away now. We're talking back yeah, to the 70s. Yeah, 72,
1: 73.
0: Yeah, and as much as <laughs> yeah. you know, Patrick Ewing and... Uh, you know, and that team, as much as you know, there's a lot of love for them in New York. They're not winners at the end of the day, and so if you come around now and you win, you know you're the face of New York for a whole new generation. And I think there's something yeah. to be said about that. You have two rings, two finals, MVPs. Unless you come back healthy and you kill it for the rest of this series, and it will be the you know an amazing comeback. Obviously. LeBron was down 3-1 and they won that championship in different circumstances. If you were to come back and pull that team out of, you know, the mud that they're in right now and win in seven, you'll get another finals MVP, right? And even if you don't, you've got um, two and two and you know the third one is not going to be held against you because you were actually out for, for all of it. Pretty much, fresh start, and you know, go carry another franchise. uh, You know, from 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 the depths and and bring them up again. I think it'll be a fantastic story.
1: Yeah, I think it it'd be huge. And there's there's a lot of talk about is he too sensitive to deal with kind of the the New York media. I I think he's going to be fine. I think he just likes arguing with people online, and I think that he'll get into it with somebody online, and it doesn't affect his play but like what i've seen so far is that he could go he could go out he could slander a reporter online and then he'll come back in and he'll he'll drop a triple double he's like he's he's that kind of guy so i'm not worried about whether the media is going to be too much and that type of thing i i wonder if my my bigger worry is that he's it's kind of a different thing that that not everybody's kind of built for like i think part of what lebron struggled with this year is he's never had to kind of be there while they're rebuilding, if that makes sense. Like when he left Cleveland and and blew up that. When they started the season, they had Bosch and Wade, and then when he came back to Cleveland, they traded Wiggins, and he had Love and Curry when he got there. This is kind of like the first time where he dropped into the middle of that rebuilding kind of step, and it's, it's different and it's hard. And I don't know if I don't know if Katie's kind of going to be up for it. I think we've got a good organization other than the owner. But I think there's I think there's some good people in the right places. That the owner's a bit of a wild card. He's the sort of guy you look at where you just think, oh yeah, would I trust this guy not to walk in and just say trade him one day? He seems like the kind of guy who'd be bitter enough to do that. But look, let's let's see what happens. I'm hoping that we end up with. With at least one of those top tier guys, and then um, and then see
0: where we go from there. Sounds good, and I can't wait to to July to come around, and we'll see what happens. Five, six, seven, eight. And that was the sound of Anthony Joshua going down to Ruiz in a heavyweight title fight, which shocked the world. Really. Complete rank outsider. No one expected Ruiz to even come close to to beating Joshua. He dropped him four times in the fight, Eric, and completely ruined my plans of a Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, and Robin on on the boxing circuit. What the hell happened? Um, you know, it,
1: it just seemed like a weird fight. Like the the thing that, like when the fight started, it, it was about a minute in that I looked at it and thought, I think he's making some really bad tactical decisions here. Cause he just kind of gave up the middle of the ring and let Ruiz kind of drive it around. And he was landing his jab, but it was more of a counter than, than anything else. He wasn't really on the front foot. And then when he dropped him in the third, um, I think he got excited and he went for the kill and then he got hit hard. And I don't think he ever really came back from it. So it's, I think it's possible that after the third he, he fought four rounds with a concussion and then, and then he just got put away. I think that the third round, if that had gone a bit longer, he might not have made it out of that round. And I think in the sixth round he cracked in with some really good body shots that I just think kind of sapped the emotional spirit out of, out of Joshua. I, you know, I think when he got off the floor and he beat Klitschko, that kind of makes sense to you in your head because you prepare for the biggest fight of your life. You get dropped, but you're, you're kind of ready. You knew it was going to be hard, but when you get dropped by a guy with like the biggest dad bot in the heavyweight division and you expected to walk in there and steamroll him, that's a <laughs> so different true. Like you don't have oh, level man. of confidence. Like yeah. what are you, I was looking at him. I was like, man, this guy's got like a bigger, and no, he's got like no ass. It's like totally flat. I'm like, this guy's a weird looking guy. But as soon as his hands started moving, I was like, wow, this guy's hand speed's probably faster than Joshua's hand speed. And Joshua's letting him get on the front foot. And you know, I I think he made a couple of bad tactical decisions. And he I feel like he wasn't fully invested emotionally in it because when he when he quit, it looked like he wasn't out of it. It looked like he just said, that's, that's enough for now.
0: Yeah, man. Like, look, he released a video three days ago, um, you know, talking about the fight. He was very candid and he sort of shot down all conspiracy theories around panic attacks, food poisoning, issues in training camp, all of that sort of stuff. And he said, look, there's nothing to that. Ruiz won fair and square, you know, fair enough. But my issue is, Mate, were you not prepared enough to, to fight this guy? I mean, did you just think you were going to roll, roll him over? Why didn't you keep your distance? Why weren't your arms up, you know, in your, you know, just simple yeah, boxing, that mis- was, you know, protecting yourself, using was, your reach, you know, you got superior reach, you have superior fitness. Where was all of that in actually, you know, playing this fight on its merits, knowing who your opponent is, rather than thinking I'm just going to run all over him. Now, of course... They've triggered the rematch. So there's a clause in the contract, you know, luckily that there's a rematch. There's going to be one in six months. And uh, naturally, like, I don't think the location has been decided yet. But, you know, it could be in NYC again, could be back in England, um, maybe in Mexico, who knows. But the truth is, I think Joshua's reputation took a hit uh, with this loss, especially with the way he lost and being knocked down four times. And I think it might be sometime before we sort of talk about him the same way we're talking about the Ontario Wilder these days.
1: Yeah, look, it's I think it's possible to to come back, but he's he's got to rebuild his career and he's got to be managed like, really carefully from from this point on. Because the I think they've done the right thing in triggering this rematch. He needs to he needs to come back and win this fight. I think that's step one is he needs to go out there and and knock this guy out. I guess the, the modern-day kind of equivalent of where he's at at the moment is probably um, Lennox Lewis. Like he got knocked out by Hasim Rahman and he got, it was, it was a pretty bad knockout and everyone was like, okay, he's done. And then he had to chase that fight for hard for a while to get it and then he came back and he won by knockout. He, he kind of needs to do that. He needs to win comprehensively in that rematch. And then he kind of puts himself in the position to to kind of chase those big-name guys. I think he can still get that fight because there's there's going to be money in it. At the end of the day, people are going to watch the fights that have the best storylines. That's what they'll pay money for a pay-per-view for. And I think that's going to be that trilogy. But he's got to come back and he's got to, he's got to make sure he wins that fight and really in dominant fashion so that he can kind of say, oh, yeah, that was a blip and and now we move on to the next one. I think that I th- it was one of the things that Floyd's kind of done to the boxing industry is he's, he's made it so that if you're not winning everything, then you're a scrub. And that's, that's not really true. And you don't even need to win everything in order to to be successful, but you just you have to be in those right fights. Like you look at Oscar De La Hoya he went for like eight and six over his last 14 fights, but he was the biggest guy in boxing um, because there was always that storyline there. And I think, I think he's going to be okay, but this step one, he has to get this right. If he goes in there and he gets knocked out again, that's, that's it. His, um, his potential to be a superstar to kind of will die in that match.
0: Yep. No, absolutely. He definitely needs to redeem himself there and a very sort of early, early question. I know that um, Deontay Wilder announced that there will ha- he will have a rematch with Tyson Fury. Now, my question to you is, and I know we don't know when this is going to be uh, played. Actually, we just know that there will be a rematch. Who's your very, very early favorite for that matchup?
1: Um, I've got Wilder as a as the favorite going in. Um, there's there's no competition in who's got the most power and you know he showed that when he when he dropped Tyson in the in the 12th and I think once you've had 12 rounds of a really good look at a fighter if if you're worth your salt then you should be able to understand how to time that a little better how to prepare for it a little better because it's, it's difficult to to find sparring partners to do that for you if that makes sense like how many guys are that big move around in quite that same way with that herky-jerky style. Like, it's hard to replicate. And I think being in there for 12 rounds, you know, it's it's an education in how to time it, how to prepare for it. Um, So, for me, because he's got that one-hit power um, and he's had a a long kind of look at him, I've got him as my my early favourite to win that fight.
0: Yep, uh, I agree with you. And, of course, this fight is going to be in the early part of 2020. Just not sure when yet, but yes, definitely something I'm looking forward to. And with Umbrish, I was sort of trying to really push for us to get the fights that we deserve and have boxing go down the path of UFC when it comes to that. Cause I think UFC does a really good job of giving people the fights that they want. And I think boxing would do well uh, to follow their lead in that space. And I think it'll give people a lot more engagement with boxing. I still think boxing is the more glamorous of the two, in my opinion. I still think it's the place that You know, the superstars want to be seen. It just has that feel about it. Yeah, for mine, I think good boxing is still peak for me. And, yeah, I think giving us the fights that we want, will go a long way to drawing the audiences back to the game. Yeah,
1: I think one of the the great things about uh, Deontay Wilder is he – He's refused to sign himself with a specific network so that he can kind of move around and, and fight whoever on, on whichever network. So I think in in him you've got a guy who feels like he will go fight wherever in order to be the guy sitting at the top of the pile at the end of the day. And and you you need to have you need to have boxes more mobile to move across. Across these platforms because you tend to get like if if you get aligned to showtime you're going to end up on a particular network and then you're only going to end up fighting fighters who are affiliated with that network and the same with the promoters as well like we They need to figure out a way to give fighters the mobility to go and have these different matchups that we want to see because they're, they're exciting and and fans will pay for it. Like it's in the best interest of the fighters from a money perspective to be going and having these fights. The only people it doesn't work out for are the the promoters. So we just need to, you know, I think the sport needs to figure out a way to give the fighters a little bit more mobility and allow them to move around and make those fights.
0: Agreed, mate. So let's, yeah, watch this space and see what happens. Thanks for your time today, Eric. No worries. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave us your comments, and we'll chat to you soon.